Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit are probably the most well-known words from this particular chapter of Zechariah, though I would probably pretty safe to assume that few people know anything else out of this chapter. But it is a very interesting chapter, and hopefully by the end of the night you will know more about the context of these great words and how to apply them into your life. Last week we were looking at the vision from Zechariah 3. God spoke to Zerubbabel about the um, how he himself has prepared for the expansion and the execution of the work. He's given his word through, through Zechariah. And he wanted Zerubbabel to know what was going on. So they're doing the measuring. He said that God measures to show us what will be or should have been. It's either in an expansion mode or in a judgment mode. We measure to discover or affirm what we should know by faith. And we looked at some of the examples for that. People go to doctors. People look at reports. People read things because I want to confirm that what I should know by faith is so. But here we're in Zechariah chapter 4. Let's begin reading here at verse 1. Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who was wakened out of his sleep. Now more than likely he is not asleep. He is just dazed from the visions and from the things that he has seen in the spirit or physically being there. And he is just uh, saying it's, it's like if I was asleep and somebody woke me up. That's, that's what it was like for me. And as he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I am looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me saying, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. So he sees this vision. He does not know what it means and what it represents. And so he questions, you know, well, what does this mean? And so the angel says to him, well, don't you know? Kind of like uh, what John was going through. There are sometimes John would see something and, and he was told, do you know what these are? And there's an expectation that John should know what was going on. There was an expectation here that Zechariah would know what's going on. <clears throat> Now, we have a, a picture image that I got, and I went through a whole lot of pictures of what this vision would look like, and a lot of them I just didn't like. I just, I see, that's, that's not really fit in the description as well as what I see, but we have it for them to put up on the screen for us. And so we'll take a look at this one. I don't know that this is necessarily exactly what it is, but it's the closest one that I could come up with. So, um... We'll take a look at this, but this is the golden lampstand, would be right here, and then the seven lamps that are on the golden lampstand. This is the bowl. The bowl is on top of the golden lampstand. I've had, I saw some of the visions, they actually had this bowl floating out here somewhere. I don't see where it's floating. It seems to be on top of the golden lampstand, so that's a, that's a pretty good depiction of it. There's the olive trees right here, and it is the olive trees are feeding the bowl with a golden olive oil. <clears throat> the lamps are fed individually, each from that bowl. So this is what he is seeing, and he says, what does this mean? So the angel says, well, don't you know? <laughs> Do you not know what these are? And he says, no, I don't. So it seems like there's an expectation that him looking at that should know what that is, but he is not sure. So... John is able to describe, he is, this, he is describing something like this. I can't say that this is exactly it, but he's looking at something like this and then giving us a description. It's not quite like the Revelation. John is seeing things that are outside of his time and trying to describe it in language that he understands. He is not seeing something beyond his time. He is seeing something, all of which he can understand, and he's describing it to us. Uh, I actually wrote in your outline, I think, looks there, John. I was thinking about about uh, John in here, but it's actually Zechariah. I'm not sure why I continued to write his name in there. But anyway, you can put that up there. So it seems like Zechariah, now John, is expected to know. So it made me ask this question. I wonder what things that we see in the Word, what we see in the world, 
what we see that God has opened our eyes to? What are the things that we have seen that we are expected to know? But we don't. How many times are we looking on situations in life and we say, what's going on? And we may even ask God, God, what's going on here? And God may say, don't you know? Because He knows he, we should have come to a place of knowing what's happening. We should be able to put it together and see what's going on. But we don't. And so we ask, God, what's going on? How many times have we been in our life looking at something in the Word, looking at something in life, looking at an event that's happening in the world, and saying, God, what's going on? When God says, don't you know? Jesus had times with his disciples when he expected them to understand something, but they didn't. When he started giving the parables, did he say to the disciples, don't you understand this parable? How are you going to understand the rest? When he gave the teachings of his death and resurrection, he expected them to understand because they had the revelation that he was the Christ, but they did not. When he gave the warning about the leaven of the Pharisees, he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. He expected that they would understand, but they did not. When he said to them, pray so that you not, do not enter into temptation, when he was in the garden, he expected them to understand, but they did not and they fell asleep. There's some other examples on this too in the, uh, later on in the New Testament. The Galatians, not understanding the gospel of grace, fell into salvation by law and they wasted time and they taught new converts the wrong gospel. And Paul had to correct them. Paul expected that they would understand what he taught them and not fall into that. The Thessalonians, not understanding what Paul taught on the tribulation, fell into a teaching that you are in the tribulation now and got so concerned about it and so upset, they wrote to Paul. And Paul had to write and teach them on these things again. And then what are the seven churches in Revelation? Four of them had fallen into wrong things. Wrong understanding. Put up with wrong teaching. Their understanding should have kept them from these, these things, but it did not. So if it happened all these other times, I've, I've got to look at my life and say, what things am I falling into questioning my God, questioning His Word, falling into a wrong understanding that I should not be, that I should have the right understanding by this point. I have been led through in my life. God has brought me to the right things. And I just have not embraced the understanding the way that I should have. And I've fallen into things that I have not. So that's a, that's a question that I would raise. Let's go on here in Zechariah. Verse 6. So, he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, who are, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of the Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Now he says in this, in verse 7, Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? There is a great mountain before him. You shall become a plain. This is kind of like Old Testament language of a New Testament teaching. Mountains shall be cast. Say that this mountain be cast into the sea and it shall. This is pretty much the New Testament back in the Old Testament. You got a mountain in front of you, Zerubbabel. We're going to make it flat. We're going to get rid of that mountain. And you're going to see something something different out of this. But not by might, nor by power. If you remember that example, the, the picture that was up there. The picture is that the golden, uh, the golden oil that comes from the olive trees is supplying the flame. is supplying the strength. And as long as they rely on that, it is by His Spirit, not by their might, not by their power. But if they switch and they go by their might and their power, then the mountain will not be flattened into a plain. They will not be able to overcome. 
Verse 9, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands also shall finish it. So the first part had been done, but we haven't gotten to the point where we're finishing this yet. Remember, he's coming along the same time as Haggai, bringing the word, yo, get back to, the, to starting this thing. His hands shall also finish it, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has dis- despised a day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. <clears throat> They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. So these seven rejoice, probably referring to the lamps. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. So when we understand this in the context of what he is saying here, and let's go back in, went too far. There he is, verse 6. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. So this is the word we are speaking to the man doing the work, the man who's in charge of, of all this. And he's not the only one. Joshua also is involved, and he'll be talked about in chapter 6 of Zechariah. But right now, this is to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So they had begun to take on the work of the temple. They set out to begin the work of the temple. They had gotten the work going, but then they faced some persecution. They faced some opposition. Some things had come against them. And this persecution and this opposition had stopped them. It uh, overwhelmed them in what they were doing. They eventually gave up. They felt like they didn't have what it took to get this thing done. They even decided on their own that it must not be God's time. We, we know we were called to come here and do this, but since we're facing all this opposition and things just aren't going so well, it must not be God's time. And so they put a stop to the work. And as we know from Haggai, they went back and began to work on their own houses. It seems like they may have even taken some of the supplies and used it on their own houses and then left the house of God, nothing being done there. So they felt like they didn't have what it would take. They decided it must not be God's time. They gave in to the persecution. They gave in to the opposition. We too, though, have taken on godly tasks. God has given us some things to do. But we felt overwhelmed. We felt like, oh, I just can't get these things done. And we stopped. Is there something that God was expecting us to understand? That God was expecting that we would walk in by now, but we haven't. And if we had walked in that, if we had come into that understanding, if we had put it to work in our life, would what we are facing now be different? When we feel overwhelmed in something that God calls us to do or is one of life's obligations, sometimes they're just things that are their obligations that come to us. I mean, even just parenting. Even just sometimes dealing with some of the people in our life. It can be, it can be overwhelming. And we just begin to think, oh, the, I can't take this on. I don't have the strength for it anymore. We feel overwhelmed. But have we switched on to take it on in our own strength instead of Instead of God's strength. I think an example I think of with this is <clears throat> a long time ago when we were getting ready to do something here at the church, we had a generator that we needed and we needed it down here and I had to get it into my truck. And so uh, the truck is, is high enough and the generator is heavy enough that uh, I don't have the physical strength to be able to hoist it up and place it in. If I rely on my physical strength to do that, I'm going to fail. Uh, now, the easiest thing to do is be able to get one of my neighbors come along and, and the two of us could take on together with it, but I didn't have that as an option. None of the neighbors seemed to be around. No one I was able to get hold of to, to be able to do that. So I'm back to, all right, how can we do this? If I had, in any time in the past, given in to the, to the thought, you know, I should get some ramps for my truck for those times when I need to get something heavy in there, uh, it, would, it would certainly help me out. I still don't have ramps for my truck. But thinking about there, if I would have had ramps, I could have done, it would have been easy because the ramps would have taken on most of the work. And I just take the wheels that is already on there and I would just wheel it right on up the ramp and it's on and it wouldn't have even been a challenge. It wouldn't have been anything at all. But because I didn't have that, that there with me, it became a challenge. 
You know, very often in our spiritual life, God is leading us into things. He's trying to take us into understanding of stuff. We resist it. We don't go after it. I don't have the time for, for those particular things. So we don't go after that. And when we need it, it's not there. It would have made our life a whole lot easier. What I faced wouldn't have been the challenge, but I didn't do it. I remember the story that uh, uh, Keith Moore tells. When uh, he was early on, he was just hearing some things from Brother Hagin and Brother Copeland and some others that had come into his life. And they were so excited. He and his wife were so excited about the teaching that was on there. And this is, of course, in the day, everything was on cassette tape. And so you had cassette tapes and you'd pass cassette tapes around to each other. And so they had listened to some of these cassette tapes and they were so excited about the things that were on it. Uh, they, they were sure that some of their friends would enjoy this too. And so they said, oh, you got to listen to this. And they would give them some of the cassette tapes to, to listen to. And so, you know, they'd come back a week or two later. Oh, did you get to listen to that? Oh, well, yeah, I just thinking about it. I just haven't gotten around to that just yet. And uh, they never did. Never did get around to it. And this happened with just about everybody that they gave these to. And some years later, he was uh, asking the Lord, says, Lord, how is it that we came, that you brought us to this place and we got to hear all this teaching and we got to enjoy all this and got connected with Brother Hagin and it really changed our life. And the Lord just told him, he said, because you honored, honored it. Because it was a privilege for you to learn these things and to pursue them. Others had the opportunity, they just didn't see it. And sometimes there has been opportunities in front of us to learn things, but we haven't pressed in. And we haven't said, you know what, I'm going to apply myself to, to do that. It's not the most important thing to us. Once that starts to become the most important thing, then God can send things to us that gets us ready so that when that comes up, we're ready for it. It's not the big deal that it was. When David faced Goliath, he had learned things from God. And so when he came to that, he was bigger than the situation. Everybody else in the army was smaller than the situation. They had not taken on the same thing, probably had some of the same opportunities, but did not take them on. And David did, and so he was ready. So we can feel overwhelmed in something that God called us to do, or it's something that we're just obligated to do because of our life situation. This is where I'm at. This, this is something that I have to do. <clears throat> We've taken it on in our own strength. We like to say it's spiritual strength because this is something God wants me to do. This is something that I have a spiritual responsibility to do. So surely I'm taking it on in spiritual strength. But no, you're taking it on in your own strength. I haven't learned what I needed to learn. I haven't understood a principle that I was expected to understand. I resisted God's leading into the right truth. He was leading me into truth, but I didn't embrace it. It was something new and I don't know if I want to, you know, I want to pursue that. It was just, it was something new. No, um, I just don't have time to pursue anything new right now. I'm still trying to work on the old stuff here. Or maybe I'm not releasing something that's false. Sometimes we have grabbed something, we grabbed hold of something, it was easier for us to grab hold of that and if it's false. It's a false teaching. In order for me to embrace something new, I have to let go of it. And I'm not ready to do that. I'm hanging on to this, this thing. No, no, no. I, I just know that this is so. And we have to be, be real careful about those things. It's where we are developing that spiritual intuition, that spiritual knowing. And God can say, pursue it. Go after it. Yeah, it just goes against everything that I know. I want you to pursue it. I want you to go after it. All right, all right, we'll go after it. And then you find out as you pursue it, oh, I was wrong. That's hard to do. That will test your spiritual growth. That will test your spiritual maturity. But the more mature you are and the more that you have grown, the more you're able to grow out of truth. That we are. I have to admit, even right now, there are some things I believe about God, I believe about His Word, that could be untrue. And if I don't release those, when God comes and says, hey, it's time, Here's the right teaching. If I don't release that other one, I'm not going to embrace the new and I won't be ready for what he has coming down for me. So a lot of times we get mad at God and say, God, how is it that you left me out here unprepared? And God says, I tried to prepare you and you resisted it. You did not follow suit. It's kind of like having that coworker. <laughs> that was just talking to me about one like this too. 
We have that coworker, and we're trying to prepare them for things, and we, we say the stuff to prepare them, but they don't listen, or they don't hear it, or it doesn't register. And, um, and what do we do? Hey, I tried to tell you. This is what's going on. God many times has probably had to do the same thing with me. Maybe he's had to do the same thing with you. I tried to tell you. I tried to get you ready for this. You didn't listen. Now, I feel bad for you that you're in this situation, but you know you're there because you didn't listen. You resisted. If you would have listened, it wouldn't be this way. Yep, yep. All right. And then you just got to repent. And I would have, what can we do now? I was looking at David's example for this. I just wrote down David's example. You can write down as much of this as you want to. But David's life would have been overwhelming. And even at times it was for him. But it would have been more overwhelming for him if he had not learned to lean on God's strengths. He had to learn to lean on God's strength and defeat, to defeat the, I'm sorry, to defeat the bear that he faced. He had to learn to lean on God's strength to defeat the lion. Even to go after them, he had to learn to lean on God's strength. And eventually, Goliath. He had to lean on God's strength in order to see God's view of him when so many around him were disappointed, were jealous, were envious of who he was and what he had. And everyone always seems to be trying to take from him and trying to dump on him. His parents, at least his dad, sure didn't seem to have a whole lot of respect for him. None of his brothers did. They picked up the same disrespect his dad had. They saw him as a storyteller. And even when he was anointed to be king, it didn't seem like they necessarily accepted that so well. David's life would have been even more overwhelming if he had not developed the people that were around him so that they were ready when he needed them. What would his job have been like as king if he did not have his 600 men that he wandered around the wilderness with, especially the 300? How much of his leadership team came out of that 300, that group of 300? How much of those people were the backbone of his army that went around and conquered the the nations, so that Israel was not subject to anyone, but they were subject to him. Here's some other examples for you. Moses, he started out attempting his divine call through his own strength and ability. But this is what God called me to do, but he's doing it in his own strength and ability. Elijah was operating his divine call in God's strength. We don't know how he started, but we know that he was operating in his divine call and in God's strength. But he switched to his own when he felt overwhelmed. Don't know why it caused him to feel overwhelmed when he was threatened by the queen, but somehow it caused him to feel overwhelmed. And he leaned on his own strength. Solomon knew his own strength wasn't good enough. And he leaned on God's. But his wives pulled him from that. Peter, he leaned on his own strength, declaring something very spiritual. I will never forsake you. Everybody else might, not me. Mm -mm, I'm going to die for you. But he did, but he did deny him. He did forsake him when the pressure rose. He fell back on what he was most comfortable with, his own strength, his own ability. And he backed off. But like Peter, many Christians make great spiritual declarations. They declare all kinds of great things, just like Peter did. Have even had times when God spoke through them, just like Peter did. Peter made declarations that impressed Jesus. But they still, they fell back on their own strength again, just like Peter. God may have spoken through you. God may have used you. God may have shown you things and done things with you. That still does not mean you won't at times go back on your own strength. Because the pressure is up. When, we, when the pressure comes up, we go back to what is comfortable. Nothing makes us more vulnerable. i put this in your outline for you. Nothing makes us more vulnerable than when we take something on in our own strength but think we are in God's. Let me say that for you again. Nothing makes us more vulnerable than when we take something on in our own strength but think we are in God's. We're out there if the enemy has got me convinced I'm doing this in God's strength and it falls apart, I am the most vulnerable. How, God, could you let me fall apart like this? 
how could the enemy have the victory over here? Don't let that happen. Don't fall back on your own strength. And when you do, understand I'm falling back on my own strength here. So I put this question, I believe it's in your outline even, how can we know which we are? Are we the Peter before the crucifixion? Or the Peter after Pentecost? Which one are we? Well, enter the olive trees and the two anointed ones. And that picks up verse 11. Then I answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left? And I further answered and said to him, What are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two golden pipes from which the golden oil drains? Well, this is interesting. When he described the vision in the first part, we didn't have anything about branches. Now we got branches. So I did the most logical thing to do. I looked up branches. Of course, it's Hebrew. Y'all know I don't like Hebrew. I don't have as much resources in the area of Hebrew. So I did the best that I could with this, and I went through the, the Bible and looked at this, but I also I found a resource that would help me out with this, and I found the Greek equivalents of the Hebrew word. <laughs> I did. I got, I got excited on that one. Oh, I can understand these things a little bit better with the, with the Greek equivalents. Well, what's interesting about this is word branch here, and it is not the word tree. It's not something that was mis, mistranslated. It is the Hebrew word, shabol or shaboleth. Uh, you may have heard this exact word in the Bible, and you're maybe even scratching your head. Why do I know that word? Why should I know that word? The reason you know this word is because you really know your Old Testament. This is a good test that you really know your Old Testament because there is one time in which this Hebrew word is read in the English. And that happens to be when, in the book of Judges, when Jephthah had a victory over the people of Ammon. And after the victory, the people of Ephraim came up to him and were mad that they were not included. And he said, no, I sent to you and you all stayed home. Don't you get mad at me when well, they did get mad at him and a war broke out. And so Jephthah now had to battle Ephraim. Ephraim would not come out and battle the armies of the enemies of, of, Egypt, of uh, Israel. They would not battle Ammon, but they would come out and battle their brethren. Isn't that great? So the, Jephthah praised the Lord. God gave us victory here. And so God gave them victory over Ephraim. And so in order to clean this thing up, they, uh, they won the battle, but there were people from Ephraim who were trying to escape and to get across the river. So as they came and they were trying to get across the river, they would say, say the word Shabol. If you remember in the, I'll read the verse to you, Judges 12, verse 6, then they would say to him, say Shaboleth, or Shabol, they could do either one. And he would say, Siboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. People from Ephraim could not pronounce this word right. It's kind of like New York. Or, you know, if you have somebody from Philly, say water. Water. <laughs> right? People from Philly, they say water. If you go from Boston, people say the ca. The ca. <laughs> different people, they, they say things different. They, they, they don't even hear it in themselves anymore. They just, they just say it that way. This is what happened here. And so this, if you know this word, this is where this word came out. So there's no significance to that word in this sentence other than the pronunciation of it. They had a hard time in doing that. If you bring up our picture again. Now, the branches are not mentioned the first time. When he's given this vision, he's not talking about the branches. He's talking about the olive trees. And some of the, uh, some of the places that have this, there's one place that actually had a, real, a very similar rendering to this, but they showed the entire olive tree. And I refused to bring it in and to download it onto my computer because when I went to the site, you know, you do a search on these things and Google gives you all these pictures. Oh, that's look like a good one. I clicked on that and it ended up being the Church of the Latter-day Saints who put it together. <laughs> so we scrapped that. I don't want that one. So this one's not quite as good, but it's not by the Church of the Latter-day Saints. So I went ahead and grabbed this one. Uh, I didn't read enough of that to find out why in the world the Church of Latter-day Saints are so interested in Zechariah chapter 4. But what we have here is the branch 
the, the branches here, that if you just picture the whole tree over here, but right now we're looking, it's a branch, and that's what it's talking about. This word that is there for branch, we didn't get to go over that with you, but the, the word that is there for branch, the place you will see this word used the most in the Bible is in the story of Joseph in Egypt. When there was the vision that Pharaoh had, and Joseph was called in, every time you see the ears of corn mentioned, it is using this word. This word is used to describe the ear of the stalk. It is the part that grows from the stalk. So it trans on an olive tree, it puts it as a branch because it's a part that grows off of it. It's also used of rivers, a branch that would come off of the river. And that was used in, in some places. And so I did a lot of, a lot more study on this than, um, that I'm necessarily proud of because <laughs> I was really trying to get a hold of this word. And uh, we're not going to spend more than, you know, a minute or two on it. But I wanted to make sure I had a full understanding of this word before I would come on in here and do this. It's coming off of the branch. It's not coming off of the tree. It's coming off one of the branches. And so there are two branches that is depicted here. Branches are part of the tree. But in the vision, he said, it's not the tree. It's the branch. And see, that seems to be significant to Zechariah because he said, I want, don't only want to know about the tree. I want to know about those branches. What about those branches? Now, the Net Bible, the new, the, I forget how that, what it stands for, the NET. I'll put it to you that way. I think it's a New English translation. I think that's what it, it stands for. But verse 12 puts it this way. Before he could reply, I asked again, what are these two extensions of the olive trees which are emptying out of the golden oil through the two golden pipes? Now here he put it as two extensions. He's the only one, it's the only translation that really translated different than branches. It could be that, but as best I could tell, in all the words that I was looking in, and even go into the, the Greek equivalents of this, the best thing that you can use here is a branch. So we're going to leave it at that, that it's a, that it's a branch. As we said, the branches are not mentioned in the first description of the vision. But it's something that he took note of. And so now he's asking about it. They're part of the olive tree. But this is the part of the olive tree that is feeding directly into the bowl. Let's read it over again, verse 11. Then I answered and said to him, what are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left? And I further answered and said to him, What are these two olive branches that dip into the receptacles of the two, of the two golden, gold pipes from which the gold, golden oil drains? Then he answered me and said, Do you not know what these are? Again, we have the question. It seems like he's expected to know. And I said, No, my lord. So he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. This is why it's important that we understand their branches. They are not the tree. They are a branch of the tree. And when he gives the final description here, he says, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. So, the idea is that the two branches are standing on the side and they are feeding the spiritual oil, the golden oil, the spiritual strength into the bowl, which then in turn lights the lamps. The lamps burn because of the spiritual oil. If the spiritual oil goes out, the lamps go out. If you try this on your own strength, your light will go out. You will be overwhelmed. You will stop. You will become like Elijah who ran off into the wilderness. You'll be like Peter who hid and denied that he even knew Jesus Christ. We're trying to do this in our own strength. If we try and do anything that God calls us to do and we become overwhelmed, we try to hide from it. We try to get away from it because I feel like I have no strength to do this anymore. I feel like I can't get this done. But in the vision that he saw... The strength comes from the olive trees. And they just burn off of that. So these two here have an identity. And it may have been expected for Zechariah to know them. 
Now, there's been a lot of speculation as to who these ones are. The two most prominent ones that we will see, if you ever read any any writings on this, is Zerubbabel, who is mentioned four times in this vision, and Joshua, who is mentioned as... uh, Joshua's role is mentioned, and he is is mentioned as the crowning, being crowned, and is the focus of chapter 6. Now, it's very possible that those two guys could be the ones that we're talking about here. And Zerubbabel is very much involved in the building of the temple, and Joshua is the high priest. However, in the Old Testament, anointed one seems to reference more the prophetic office than the king and the priest office. So if that's the case, then you're looking for two prophetic voices and two prophetic offices, not so much a king and a priest office, which is what Zarabalbel and Joshua would be. If that's the case, then I would think we would default to Haggai and Zechariah as being two uh, ones who who are basically those olive trees. They are getting the word from God and they are speaking it directly to the people. That would seem to be the uh, the case for the oil there. Now, other there's other pairings. There's other times when two show up here. And uh, I'm just going to read these to you. Moses and Joshua. Now, you could say Moses and Aaron, but they were, you know, related. But Moses and Joshua were not, but they surely were a team. Elijah and Elisha were very much a team. Jesus sent them out in twos. Peter and John were a beginning team after Pentecost. Paul and Barnabas, we know they were a team of two. Uh, when they broke up, Paul grabbed Silas. He didn't just go out on his own. He went with Silas. Other people are in the team, but the team is Paul and Silas. Barnabas grabbed Mark, and he went off and did things. And I'm sure that since then, other people have gone off in, in the two. Now, <clears throat> these two are not just pairings, but they are two through whom flows the golden oil that keeps the lamps burning. Now, with relation to the temple, because we have the temple very much in view here, in relation to the temple, how can we not also go with another pairing? And that pairing in particular are the two witnesses in Revelation. In Revelations 11, 1 through 6. Now, listen to this. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. Isn't that what we just went through? In chapter 3, we had the measuring And the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. Very similar measurement to what we were going through before. But leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. There is no place in Scripture where the two olive trees are ever brought in outside of here in Revelation with the exception of Zechariah. Where do you think this is coming from? The only other place we see in Scripture of the two olive trees in relation to the lampstands is in Zechariah. He had it with seven lamps on one lampstand These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. The two witnesses, we uh, suppose, and I think rightfully so, to be Moses and Elijah. Moses stood in what office? He was a prophet. Elijah stood in what office? He was a prophet. If the two witnesses in the book of Revelation are prophets, it would seem to be that the two olive branches in the book of Zechariah would also be prophets. The reference, there's a lot of Zechariah that is written for the future and for the future coming temple and for the future coming Messiah. There's a lot that is in here about that. This is very possible that Haggai and Zechariah are forerunners of the two that would come after this. They are two who came on a much smaller scale of opposition to the temple to help get it going and revive it. The two witnesses are going to come that are much greater level of opposition, but still opposition. And they would be the basically the olive branches that would bring the golden oil to keep the lamps lit. 
It is interesting, too, that in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, we have the vision of the golden lampstands and the seven lamps that are upon them. Let's continue going. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this, this manner. That verse just amazes me. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. <laughs> wow. So if anyone wants to come up against the two witnesses, fire comes from them and burns them up. So the beast and all his powers that are with him are trying to kill these two witnesses, but they cannot. Because anybody they send to get them, fire comes out. Can you remember a time when this happened in the Word of God? When they came to get Elijah for the purpose of killing him because they didn't like the words that he had spoken, he says, If I am a man of God, may fire come down and burn you up. Burn right up. (laughs) Because of the words that were spoken from his mouth. And that didn't happen until the words spoken from his mouth. Do you remember when fire came down in the time of Moses and burned up the people that were trying to get him? It's going to happen in the end times too. People are going to see this. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. Now keep that in mind as you're going through the book of Revelation and you're seeing some of the calamity that's going on with drought and so forth. That's coming on because these guys say it. They speak it. No rain until we say so. Because that's what Elijah did. That's what Elijah did. He said there'll be no rain until I say Incidentally, how long did Elijah say there'd be no rain? Right around the same time as the the latter part of the tribulation. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. I don't see how you get past this scripture and not see Moses and Elijah all over this. Because Moses and Elijah, when they were down here on earth, Moses was in a training ground to get ready for the end times. And Elijah was in a training ground to get ready for the end times. He may have wanted to depart and go on, but God says, it is not time for you to depart yet. I need you to get fully trained up. I need all these things to be operating through you because when I transport you from here to the time in the future, still alive, he will transport him still alive because you do not have power to operate in this earth unless you are alive and in a body. He's going to transport him up to the future. I've told this to you many times before. Moses and Elijah are being transported up on a fiery chariot. We saw the fiery chariot with Elijah, but it's the same chariot that started in the time of Moses, picked up Elijah, stopped off at the Mount of Transfiguration, let them off, have them talk with Jesus, get back on the fiery chariot, and head on into the book of Revelation, do what they're supposed to do, and then probably get transported back into their time to die, or else they just let them die right there in the future. It don't matter just so they die and then they go on into, into heaven. They were, in, they were in a training ground. And what they were doing was important but what they would be doing was more important. And they were getting them ready for these particular things. So this is the vision that Zachariah has seen that has present day results but it also is looking at the future because we see the olive trees come back in. The people who follow God through Jesus in the end times would be encouraged and empowered by the words and the actions of these two witnesses. When they hear how Moses and Elijah speak, when they hear the words that they say and the boldness that they have, and they see the miracles that are coming from them that God is doing through them and destroying the enemies, they're going to be encouraged. This is the side we want to be on. I see the the lying signs and wonders from the beast, but these I know are genuine. That's the side I want to be on. It's just like in the time of Moses in the land of Egypt when he was doing miracles and Janes and Jambres mimicked them. And some of the people say, well, if they can mimic them, then there's no big deal. Uh, not when my snake eats your snake. They could make, they could duplicate, but they couldn't make them go away. Moses could make them go away. God's power was greater. Just as they were weakened and embattled the enemies of God. This is what they were to do. They were here to weaken the enemies of God. They were here to embattle them. They were also here to strengthen the army of God. So we wrap this up this way. If we are to operate 
by not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, then we need to be supplied by the by the spirit. I need to be supplied by the Holy Spirit. If we are to operate by not by might nor by power, if that's what we're going to do, if we're going to go around and sing the song, we're going to go around and, and quote the verse, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. If we're going to do that, then we have to be supplied by the spirit. I got to have that vision going on inside my life. I got to be having that supernatural golden oil coming into me. If we as Christians are supplied by what is natural, we will operate by our own strength and power. If that's my supply, if the natural things are my supply, that's how I'm going to operate. If I can only supply looking for what we see and hear to confirm my faith. If I'm always measuring to confirm my faith when I should be believing, then I'm going by my own strength and power. And I'm not going to be operating by this. I can quote this scripture, but I'm not going to be operating by it. I'm going to be relying on natural understanding. I'm going to be figuring out all things first before I'm stepping out in faith. That's not how we're supposed to go. But to be supplied by the Spirit is to follow the voice of the Spirit regardless of what we see. The Spirit of God says, go, we go, regardless of what we see. When Abraham was told, I want you to get up from here and go to another land, a land that I will show you. He had nothing in the natural to go on. He had to follow the leading of his Spirit. The golden oil, this is the most vital thing. This is the thing we seek more than anything else. What God is speaking through His teachers, through His prophets, through His ministers is more important than news feeds, sports scores, TV shows, political commentary, whatever. All these things, none of these things can hold a candle. Uh, Some time ago, I think it was last year, we started throwing that out challenge to you that the first thing you do in the morning is read the Word. The first thing you do I think we call it like first eyes. The first thing you lay your eyes on is Scripture, is the Word. You get the Word in you. You make sure that you go. Some are still going on with that and still carrying on, making sure I get the Word in every day. Get the Word in. Read the Word. Get the Word in you. Meditate on it. Mull over it. Because it's the most important thing that we can get. It's far more important. I've known this for, for decades. And I've tried to follow this. When I... Uh, other people, you know, when they go out, they, we, we get together. I, get, I used to get together with other runners. I don't really do that anymore. But we used to get together. And, you know, we'd, we'd all have the earphones and stuff on. They were talking about what music they listened to and what, uh, uh, what made them get going. I don't listen to music. Never have listened to music. I'm always listening to teaching. I'm always listening to somebody. And it used to be I had to carry that big old box on my, on my belt. And it had a tape player in it. And you had to have this tape player. And then the wires going all the way on up. And you got wires. And you got the tape player. And you got to stop and flip the tape over. And oh man, it was it was a chore then. And then we got the uh, the little MP3 players. And oh, we were in heaven. Now it's even better. But we always make sure we we have whenever I'm out running, whenever I'm out cutting the lawn, whenever I'm out in the shop doing some sanding and stuff, I am always listening to the word. I want to hear what the word is. I can listen to three, four hours a day of teaching easily just by doing other things. And sometimes I'll get this, oh, i got to think about that one. And uh, I'll, I'll, all right, i got to mark this one. i got to come back to when I can think and I can write on this one. A lot of times I'm listening to people. I don't need to do that. I, oh, yeah, okay, you're reminding me about this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Remind. But I want to be reminded about all these things. I want people that are going to go over the Word, people who just tell stories. They, they, um, they actually aggravate me because I don't want to just hear stories. There's a couple people I like. I like them overall in their ministry and stuff they do, but they keep telling the same stories. I don't want to keep hearing the same stories. I want to. I, I want to hear the word of God. I don't even care if you teach the same thing that I already heard before. I'm listening to to a series. I'm I'm scooping it up. I've, it's got about 20 parts to it. Fred Price. I don't know if I could put them up on Monday because <clears throat> this isn't young Fred Price. This is a little bit older Fred Price. But um, uh, I. He says some things. I don't know how everybody would handle it. I'm enjoying it. I'm liking it. But I said, all right, I can, I can take that. And, but he hits. He hits I said, if so-and-so were to hear this, I know that would really throw them. I know it would really throw them. I don't know if I can put that up there. So I haven't decided whether I can. I'm still collecting them. And I'm still enjoying it. He does use some words that I cringe. I will, I would not, I will not use that word. <laughs> I will not use that word. Uh, but he does. And he, that's fine. It doesn't bother me. It's just, I, I'm not going to do that, but um, I'll put that on. I, I love Fred Price because he goes over the Word. 
He's always in the Word. That's what I want. I want somebody who's going to always be in the Word. Brother Hagen, always in the Word. Constantly dealing in the Word. Jesse, not so much always in the Word. It's always about the Word, but he's a lot of stories. And, you know, every once in a while I'll switch over and I'll, I'll listen to that. But you know, I don't live off of that. Charles Capps, get a little bit more of the, of the Word going on in there. And there's some other ones that I can, I can pull up and, and do some things, but I need to go over the Word. That's what I, I mostly need to, to have going on. I want that constantly going on in me. Because that is the most vital thing in my life is to make sure that I have this. This is how I keep my emotions under the control of the Word of God. By having the Word of God in me. It's not because of any personality things. It's because of the Word of God that's in me. Because I stay renewed on the Word. This is how we stay uh, level focused about things that are going on in our world. I'm not going to get upset at this. Uh, I, I, does my spirit tell me I need to be prepared? Then I get prepared. But I don't get upset at these things. You've got to have that word going on inside of you. You've got to have that supply. As long as I keep that supply coming in, then it is by, by, the, by His Spirit, not by my strength. So if I grow in what I understand, it makes room in my life for what I need to win against what is coming. If I'm growing in what I understand, if I'm taking the word and I grow in what I understand, this is one of the things about the power of the sower. I have got to increase in the seed that comes into my life. If I don't increase the seed that comes in, I don't have anything to understand. I've got to keep increasing that. Keep going over these things. And grow in what I understand makes room in my life for what I need to win against what is coming. There are some things coming against me. There's some things coming against you. You don't know about it yet. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3, God told them, these things are coming. He didn't say He's going to stop it. He didn't say if you're spiritual, you'll avoid it. He said they're coming. Now, get ready and make sure you endure to the end. There are some things that are coming in our life and God is saying, get ready. The enemy is getting ready to throw this at you, but endure to the end. We've got to grow in our understanding. We've got to make room in my life for what I need to win against what is coming. We've got to sow into the people around me when I sow into the people around me, it increases my team for when they are needed. David sowed into the people that were around him. He kept growing the people that were around him. Even when he didn't need them, he grew them so that when they were needed, he had a way out. He had 600 men. He could use those men to go out there and to help this group of people over here and this group of people over here. Sow into them and sow into them. Saul's out there taking the army of Israel chasing around David and leaving the country vulnerable. David is going around with the 600 men he's got and protecting them. That word got around. Failure to do so will put us in the same boat as Peter on the night that Jesus was betrayed. We'll be in the same boat there. We're facing this great struggle, this great thing that's coming against us. We're going to feel overwhelmed by what is going on around us, just like Peter. He felt overwhelmed by what was going on around him. We're going to feel like we need to put on a good showing or feel pressure to be a good example. But we're going to fall back on what we know the most, our own strength and hard work. And here's the kicker. We're going to try and pass off our strength and hard work as God. And we'll give praise and glory to God for the things that we achieved through strength and hard work. We're going to come up short, though. We're going to feel either that God let us down or that we let Him down. Either way, it will take you down, down the wrong road. If the enemy can sell you that that God lets you down. If the enemy can tell you that you let him down, it'll take you down the wrong road. He doesn't care which road you go down, just so you go down one of them. You're going to go away defeated in your faith battle. Probably going to feel like you'll never win. Probably feel like, I guess I'm just no good at this. I guess I just have no reason being here. You'll probably be like Elijah. You well just give up and go on home. God says, no, Elijah i got more work for you to do and I need you to get over this. I need you to get the victory here. Because what I need you to do, you're not quite ready for yet, but you will be. Your spiritual supply is that golden oil. Or in the New Testament, the terms will be seed of the word and the supply of the spirit. Is your daily routine increasing the golden oil? Or does your daily routine increase the natural supply? Does it increase our reliance on the Holy Spirit or on our own natural strength? 
as long as you are fighting in yourself to suppress the things you know you shouldn't do, the know the things you know you shouldn't think, the things you know you shouldn't say, as long as you are fighting to suppress them, you are probably relying more on your strength and natural ability than you want to admit. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our thoughts come from the abundance that we have on the inside of us. I've got to change that abundance. These all should be warning signs for us. If we're not operating, I think it was uh, Keith Moore who was operating, the, relating the example of the plane, how much you rely on those uh, <clears throat> dials, those indicators. And he said in your spiritual life, some of the things, that you, two of the things that you ought to need to look at the most is the indicator of your joy and the indicator of your peace. If those two things are off, your faith is probably not where it needs to be. You're probably relying on your own strength and ability. And no matter what you change in your life, it's not going to make it better. You need to get back to getting the golden oil and getting that supernatural supply going on. When you fall back in times of struggle or even desperation, when you, what you, I'm sorry, what you fall back into in those times of struggle. Whatever you fall back into, whether you fall back into your own strength, whether you fall back into reliance of the Holy Spirit, whatever you fall back in those times of struggle and desperation, that will tell you whether you are Peter who was timid in the courtyard or Peter who was bold in the court. We want to be like Peter who was bold in the court. We don't want to be like Peter who was timid in the courtyard. Same man, right around the same place, but a different outcome. Should we obey you? And nah, he was bold in front of them. And the man just a short time before that was very timid. What are we relying on? And what are we building our strength on? As long as you listen to the thing that you have no time and no ability to uh, to do it. You may say, well, I heard the examples that you use and I don't spend time in a shop sanding and I'm not out in the backyard cutting and I'm not out running. I don't have those opportunities. Those are my opportunities. You can find a way to get your own. I have always found a way to get these things to go on. My wife and I were both in the shop. I had made a setup in our shop that I could take whatever it was that I was listening to, broadcast it on an FM station in our shop and we could both hear it on an FM broadcast. We just had the headphones. We had the headphones that silenced all the stuff in the shop. And we could hear that. We could just stand away, do whatever we wanted to do. And we could we could do that. Running, I have to do something different. If you're around in the, in the place and doing housework, uh, if you're cooking meals, if you're driving around, there are ways for you to get it done. You just got to be willing and put the effort out. It's not always going to be easy. But there are ways that you can get it going. You can just say, God, how is it that I can listen to more word? I can get more word into me on a regular basis? Because I know I need to increase my understanding. I've got to increase my spiritual supply so that I am relying on your strength and not on mine. I want verse 6 of chapter 4 to work in my life. I don't want it to be just something that I quote. I don't want to be relying on my strength and my might, but by your Spirit. Well, Father, we thank you that we have your Spirit to rely on and that you can help us to increase that supply. Just as in the days of Zechariah, there were prophets that you had that were pouring into them and got them going and got them ready. And then they rose up to the challenge. Just as in the tribulation, there will be two who will bring in the oil the golden oil, and be that encouragement to the people that are around when they see all the things that are going through them. There are people in our lives that we can draw from. And we are in the time in the New Testament in the church and we have a direct line to that spirit. And I thank you for that direct line. Help us to take advantage of that and to be constantly filling up our supply. And to learn the signs of when we are relying on our own strength or falling back on what was familiar instead of pressing on in the strength of the Spirit. 
Because you have new places for us to go in the realm of the Spirit. New battles for us to engage in. And those new battles will put on pressure. But we need to hang on to the spiritual weapons. Hang on to doing this in your strength and not in our own. Not to fall back on what we used to do. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.